This is The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. On this episode, we talk to Brigitte Mars. We discuss her longevity as an herbalist, cannabis, and the importance of a spiritual connection with the plants. We also attempt to dispel the myth that all herbalists are stoners. Join us on iTunes and feel free to subscribe on iTunes as well. This is Jessica Baker with Brigitte Mars, herbalist, raw food chef, and very prolific author. Brigitte has taught at Naropa, at the Omega Institute, at Esalon, and at various other places that I'm sure she'll speak about. And today, I just really want to hear about Brigitte, and I want you to know about where she stands with herbalism, how she got into herbalism and raw food, and anything else that Brigitte would love to share with us. And I thank you so much for being a part of this interview. It is my pleasure and honor. Thank you so much. So why don't we start with just how you got interested in herbalism, um, how you became passionate about plants, and anything you think is going to be relevant for us to hear. Well, I think I got started with herbalism as a very young child, maybe like four or five, because I had this amazing French-Canadian grandmother who used plants for healing. And I remember one time we found a little wounded bird in the woods and we brought it home and we fed it these special herbs and put a poultice on it. And a few days later, it flew away. And I knew then I want to be able to do that. I mean, that was so gratifying. And, um, you know, my grandmother, she didn't say she was an herbalist, but she, you know, carried this ancient tradition of, you know, knowing about plants, knowing how to deliver a baby, knowing what to do for a cold. I mean, in Canada, she had 11 children. They had whooping cough. They dealt with all kinds of maladies. And, uh, you know, there was maybe one doctor in the town who could have gone fishing for the week. Therefore, you better know what to do. And uh, my, my parents would say, that what she was full of were old wives' tales, but my observation was that they worked. And so when I was a teenager, I went to an all-girls school, and I became sort of the alternative to the nurse. I would, uh, you know, have this drawer full of herbs, and my classmates would, rather than go to the infirmary, come to my room, and I would give you chamomile tea or some rescue remedy or some, you know, rosemary or have you smell some essential oils so you could study. So I found that even though I was really just a kid, it became my passion. And, you know, this might also be of interest for young people who feel really called to this uh, craft of uh, herbalism. But every time I had a paper at school due... Um, I would turn it into a way to learn about herbs. So if we were studying about the French Revolution, I would write my paper on herbal medicine during the French Revolution. If we were writing about, you know, if we were studying Spanish, I would write a paper on hierbas medicinales de Mexico or medicinal herbs of Mexico. So I would always, if we were writing, studying chemistry, I would write about the chemistry of plants, glycosides, saponins, essential oils. So you know, I think that if you, rather than wasting time in school, if you have a focus, and I've always liked the wisdom from that book, uh, What Color Is Your Parachute? It says, find 10 things you love and 10 things you're good at and see if you can't interlock the two. So I love plants. I love people. I love the commitment to helping the environment. So I've only worked in the natural foods industry. I've had a two 
vegetarian restaurants in my life, uh, one in the Virgin Islands and one in Miami called The Supernatural and The Magic Door. Um, and and an, another thing that really taught me a lot is I lived for two and a half years in a teepee and ate nothing but wild edible plants. And so this was really... Uh, People say, why would you do that? Why would you go from, you know, the nice girls boarding school to living in a teepee? But if you, any of you remember, you might not have been born yet, but there was this big back to the land movement in the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, the idea that we needed to grow our own food because there was very few organic things available. Uh, there was a commitment to natural childbirth, a commitment to uh, alternative forms of energy, a commitment to exploring traditional sciences like yoga and meditation. And so many people were buying land and creating sustainable communities and doing a lot of things that are kind of mainstream now. I, I like to say the hippies were right all along because 50 years we were doing <laughs> organic gardening and uh, natural childbirth and meditation and all these things that have really become part of our culture, solar energy. We had, we you know, had a solar dehydrator, for example. So, um, you know, I did go to school. I went to massage school. I also studied with a number of other teachers like Michael Tierra and Christopher Hobbs and Mindy Green and Susan Weed. But really, this is a subject you could study your entire life. I do. And you asked about being a raw chef too. I, I consider myself a natural food chef. I wrote a raw book called Rawsome, of which I really am proud of. I made raw lasagna last night for some artist friends. Um, but I'm also a wild food chef and a natural food chef. So I don't eat 100% raw, although I have for many, many years. And I, I love living foods and a high percentage of my diet is raw food. But I also live in Colorado, so I make tea and sometimes purple sweet potatoes and black rice. But it was actually my daughter, Rainbow Mars, who you can Google. She's quite famous around the world, Rainbow Mars. She has 30 yoga DVDs. She went to Hollywood and started making movies and... Uh, told me she'd gone raw. And I actually had my alarm bells go off, say, oh my goodness, maybe my daughter has an eating disorder. And when I went to LA to save her and met all her beautiful, healthy friends, I said, you know, I think I'm going to try this for a year. And, you know, really it's, it's quite wonderful. And the last thing I'll say about this is in herbal medicine, there's this belief called the doctrine of signatures, which is an ancient philosophy used by cultures all around the world where people would observe and say, oh, cauliflower looks sort of like the brain. Maybe it's good for the brain. Or kidney beans look like the kidneys. Maybe they're good for the kidneys. Well, they are. And beets, uh, maybe they build your blood. They do. Um, but if you think about planting a raw sunflower seed, it has the life force to grow into a 10 to 20 foot tall plant. If you plant a roasted sunflower seed, it rots in the ground. And, you know, I think people complain about feeling cooked, fried, baked and toasted. Mm -hmm. um, and they're doing that to their food. Maybe there's a connection there. I personally love feeling fresh, alive, crisp, ready to go, all that and um, so eating a lot of live foods infuses me with that. I also like eating a lot of wild food, things that were not 
planted, but just kind of come up on their own. I think those plants have a real special survival quality and a lot of integrity, and they've adapted to the adversities of the world. Definitely. I feel the same way about the wild foods. You know, Rosemary Gladstar, she always says, you know, we have to eat something wild to get back to that wild part of ourself. And not only is that just fun to think about, but it's also really relevant in our world where everything is very packaged and very processed. And we've gotten this complete disc, not us, obviously, but there's a pretty big disconnect between not only raw foods and wild foods, but real food in general. So it's seen that for me, at least I do see that herbalism is this way back to just diet in general and Chinese medicine herbs are part of our food for the most part. So I feel like with Western herbalism, Adding wild foods into our daily regimen is not only going to help our nutrition, but it's also going to just remind us that we are a bigger part of this larger environment, which is the earth. Absolutely. And, you know, you can combine raw and wild. So um, the two can really go hand in hand. Uh, So, you know, I like to say I'm you know, high raw, mostly vegan, sometimes flexible. So I don't, you know, I travel a lot and I, um, you know, see the different places where I am might have their own type of tonic foods. So, um, and, and so it really encompasses everything. I feel like we have an opportunity now to take the best from many, many different traditions and cultures, including, you know, Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine, Tibetan medicine, um, South American traditions. You know, Michael Tierra always likes to talk about planetary herbology, although my great love is to use the local plants that are growing right outside my door. So again, it doesn't have to be you know, rare and exotic. There's a lot you can do with dandelion and stinging nettles and red clover and malva, for example. And how do you balance that out? Um, Being in Boulder, Colorado, eating seasonally, how do you work with that in terms of do you just grow a lot of herbs and then dry them and then be able to cook with them in the winter? Or do you find like constitutionally that just changes for you and how you work with your clients as the seasons change? Well, certainly I love, you know, paying attention to the seasons. So in the wintertime, you know, black, one of my favorite tonic foods is black rice or wild rice, either one, both of them, you know, purple sweet potatoes. I'm always going to look for things that are the most colorful. So of course, in the wintertime, there's going to probably be more, you know, soups and things that are warming. But also remember, you can warm yourself with spices. So, you know, even, you know, still including like if I wanted applesauce rather than cooking and cooking and cooking apples to their mush, I could just put apples in the blender or food processor with a little bit of water and blend them up and adding some cinnamon will make the applesauce warmer. So again, it doesn't have to be done with heat. You can warm yourself with spices. You might use more liberal um, spices like uh, ginger or garlic or horseradish or cayenne to warm yourself up as well. But again, I drink herbal tea almost every day, summer, winter, fall. I also dry a lot of food. So right now our dehydrator is going. So let's say I harvest um, on Sunday, my partner and I are going to go collect crab apples and wild blackberries and we're going to puree them and make a fruit leather. So dehydration at a temperature of under 
110 because enzymes, the life force in food, starts getting deactivated at about 114 degrees. So, you know, I realize not everyone's in agreement about this, but I know that there's this whole branch of vitalism and herbalism and where we're looking at, you know, everything, the you know, the the characteristics, the taste, the flavor. And now I tend to do herbal medicine a lot differently. So for example, in the summertime, instead of drinking nettle tea, I might drink nettle juice. And yesterday we blended up fresh raw stinging nettles with avocado, banana, apple, and blended it up. And we call it a fruit whip. And you eat that with some fresh peaches and you really feel like a superhero all day long. It's great. And I noticed on your website, you've got some really great videos and you have a fruit whip video on there for people that, so they can watch. Is that a similar recipe um, to the yes. one? And so um, I really am a champion for the weeds. So very often, you know, when people are weeding their garden, they be, they could be collecting those weeds and making salad or soup for that night. So yesterday I was helping an artist friend weed her garden um, she wanted to get rid of all the purslane. Well, I picked all the purslane and last night made a beautiful purslane salad. And, you know, it, it amazes me. But one of the things I learned from my time living in the teepee in the Ozarks was that we could double or triple the yield of our gardens if we would learn to eat the weeds. And so rather than, you know, struggling in the hot sun, pulling something up, why not pull it up, put it in a colander and the part that you don't want, maybe the roots or the lower leaves or something, use that for mulch. You know, I call it hillbilly gardening because I learned it from the hill people that lived in the Ozarks that were very generous with with teaching our little um, group of <laughs> city kids. But, you know, another thing you asked about, how do I cope with living in the city? I live right downtown Boulder and I love it and I've never learned to drive a car and so I walk everywhere and I find it very calming. Um, I'm also walking through the alleys and I'm always looking and saying, oh, rose hips, oh, wild grapes, oh, blackberries. Um, and, you know, the alleys are not really trafficked. And I don't really feel the stress of living in the city. I feel very empowered. I manage to travel all around the world. I, you know, take buses. I take airplanes. So, you know, people think, I don't see how you could stand not driving. Um, it takes an hour and a half to take the bus to the airport. But when I drive, it only takes an hour. And I say, yeah, and how many more hours a month do you need to work to pay for the gas and the transmission and the parking and the tickets and the repairs and I don't know, all the stuff that people have to pay for. So I actually uh, think being a pedestrian um, really gives me the opportunity to uh, have my feet on the earth and see what's going on and see how the plants transform, um, you know, week to week. So um, I also want to say that a couple other adages that I do adhere to in the city is we compost. We um, say, you know, collect our gray water, which has once again become legal in Colorado Thankfully. and give it back to the earth. <laughs> um, and we have turned our whole sidewalk into edible plants. Granted, some people think it looks like a bunch of lemon balm and comfrey, but, you know, we have huge zucchini and kale and um, we I'm sort of like a tree pirate. I've planted trees on all the neighboring blocks as well, rather than you know, being a pirate that goes and steals things, I get up and plant trees before anyone notices. Um, and so the, I, the neighborhood is like abundant with, you know, edible fruit. 
And uh, a really great uh, tree I recommend people planting is serviceberry. Um, it's in the rose family, and you get wonderful berries that are easy to collect that don't have big seeds in them, and they're you know dark uh, bluish, blackish purple, which means they're really high in anthocyanidins and all that great stuff for our brains and eyes and fragile capillaries. I like this saying, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is now. I like that. That's definitely relevant. So when you are harvesting, you know, things that you've grown in the city and just things that you walk by and decide to wildcraft, for those who aren't used to wildcrafting or who aren't concerned or thinking about the pollution that may be going on, is there anything that you absolutely would not harvest and then just tips that you have for people if they are in a city to say, okay, obviously pay attention to how much traffic is going by this plant before you harvest it or something like that? Surely. Um, Well, absolutely. You don't want to harvest anything within 50 feet of a busy road. Um, And so even though I live right downtown, I live on a road that doesn't go through. So there's hardly any traffic on this road. You know, I certainly wasn't thinking about that then. But I find that I harvest a lot of things more in the backyard than the front yard because, you know, in your front yard in the city, you're going to have, you know, people walking by and spitting and dog pee and all that. So the the backyard. But we also put up a little, um, you know, string fence around our plants. So it really does keep the dogs out and um, hopefully gives people awareness. It, it, it also has all these solar lights that just collect solar energy. And at the night, they at night they light up and they change colors. And, you know, I think most people walk by and say, this is really beautiful. And hopefully we're inspiring people to do this in their own yards. Of course, if you live in an apartment and you don't know the history, you know, check with the landlord. Have they sprayed herbicides? You want to avoid any herbicided lot um, that's been herbicided within two years or pesticided. Um, but I'm seeing this tra- tradition of, you know, turning vacant lots into garden plots for the community. Um, so, you know, I think that's something we need to do more of because planting a garden is hope for the future. And it gets people, ch- you know, children, if they grow something and they see that miracle of life, like, wow, plant a seed and it turns into a carrot. You know, they're going to eat carrots more than they would if you just buy them at the store. So we have this amazing opportunity to, rather than looking for Eden, we need to be recreating Eden everywhere. And I really encourage people to grow something, even if it's, you know, cherry tomatoes. They don't take as long to mature as, say, you know, big heirloom tomatoes. But, you know, what can you grow on your porch? You know, here in Colorado, we are allowed to have chickens in downtown and bees. Um, And, you know, I I mentioned my daughter, Rainbow. Um, She lives in Beverly Hills. She's had a lot of success as a, you know, international model. And she has a book out called The 21 Day Superstar Cleanse. And she's made national news a couple of times. And it was for three things. One was Beverly Hills family digs up yard to grow edible weeds. So she's really trying to use her, you know, Hollywood clout to show, look, this is what we all need to be doing. She also um, brought in a beehive in Beverly Hills, and then she gave out worms for Halloween, which made national news. But of course, it was worms with dirt, compost and seeds, you know, like 
really, we want to give kids candy for Halloween and then worry that they're hyper and miss school for the rest of the week because they're sick. So um, we have so many opportunities to make a social statement about the world we want to create. And so people think, you know, that our food you know, most of the food is grown outside of the cities, but most of the food that you buy is inside the cities. We just all need to learn to know plants all around us. So I have, I have two daughters, Sunflower and Rainbow, and when my kids were little and they would say, you know, mom, can I have some money? I'd say, well, well, let's take a walk around the block and I'll give you a quarter for every plant you can identify, 50 cents if you can tell me the Latin name and a dollar if you can tell me three uses for the plant. Because I want my kids and grandkids to have that knowledge that if there was some earthly calamity or power outage or um, you know, situation which happens every day around the planet, would you know what to eat? Or would you be one of those people like waiting for Red Cross to come, which sometimes takes days? Therefore, we should all be aware and alert and know that we have allies all around us, just like our ancestors did. Grocery stores are a relatively new thing. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you did a really good job of... Um you know, having that balance with your children in terms of they not only encourage them monetarily to know the plants, but it seems like that's spilled over into their adult life because definitely Rainbow's an activist. And I can only imagine Sunflower is doing amazing things as well. Yeah, she's a preschool teacher and her school has won an award for best gardening school. And Sunflower and I did an herb camp for kids this summer. So um, we feel like it's really important to work with the children and create aware citizens. So that, that was wonderful. Other than the herbs, uh, the kids camp, do you teach other herbal classes for children or do you mainly just teach adults? Mainly I teach adults, but you know, I get asked to do things at my grandchildren's school and herb camp for kids. You know, I'm very often a guest if they're studying, you know, pioneers or Native Americans or early America, they might ask me to come and do a class. I've done wild foods classes for kids. But right now it's really a joy because a lot of the kids who've come to herb camp for kids, maybe 10, 12 years ago are now in my adult class. So um, I get kind of a kick of like, oh, now you're a grown up and you're in the class. So that's really fun. And have you seen these uh, people that were children and that are now adults? Are they actually like practicing herbalists or are they just people who remembered it from childhood and now want to relearn it again? There is really a generation uh, growing up and there's some wonderful books out there that I think inspire kids like Wise Child and Juniper and the books by um, Karen Cushman, I think, The Midwife's Apprentice, The Bone Setter's Daughter. Um, so the other day I was in a lovely local herb store called Rebecca's Apothecary and I saw one of the kids who went did herb camp for kids and then later on took my class as an adult and now she's working in the herb store, which really takes quite a lot of knowledge to do that because, you know, she's talking to people about um, you know, helping them create formulas for their ailments and, you know, has the savvy to know like, no, oh, that's not really recommended during pregnancy. So uh, th this happens a lot. Um, and I think there are some kids who really have this knowingness that this is what they want to do. And uh, the last 10 week herbal class that I taught, I had a nine year old, her mother 
and her grandmother. So all three of them took the class so they can all support each other. And the mother, the one who's in the middle is a esthetician. So she's making natural body care products. So, um, you know, what, what a wonderful thing. So uh, my classes, I was surprised that this nine-year-old wanted to take the class, but she had done herb camp for kids. And she's just said like, no, I want to be an herbalist and I'm starting to learn right now. Oh, that's so great. That really gives hope for the future. I mean, coming from California and now living in Denver, I felt like I've noticed, I don't know quite how to say this, but in California, I felt like I knew a lot more children who were into herbs and into plants and into everything because maybe my community of people, you know, we lived in Humboldt County. So it's pretty much in the middle of nowhere and everyone grows something, uh, whether I've it's food or otherwise. <laughs> so, um, so being in Denver, you know, just my whole life has changed in in regards to, you know, going from a rural environment to a very city environment. And so I love to hear that children are still wanting to learn about herbs because since I've been here, I don't know, I've noticed it's just a shift of what's important to people because it is more city. So people may be into like organic food or, you know, farm to table, but it seems more um, just hip and trendy and not as, you know, just because that's just the way you live because you live in the middle of nowhere. So I love to hear that like children do want to learn about herbs and that we're going to have a whole new generation of people who actually care about the planet and not just about, you know, they're going to wear organic bamboo because it's the hip thing to wear, you know, or eat organic because it's hip, but not actually care that it's local or sustainable or things like that, you know. Well, I have great faith. You know, we there's a group called the Earth Guardians um, which you might look out at their like, you know, 16 year old boy who's addressed the United Nations three times and his younger brothers and and sisters. Um, there's also a group in Denver, DJ Cavum and Erasia. They are helping to create edible gardens and vacant lots all around Denver. So, I mean, there's allies everywhere, but again, it's, it's a waking up and it's slow and we're not the majority um, but I, I know that it's happening everywhere in small pockets and, you know, rather than waiting for the government to do it, it's like everybody needs to do something and we might have different causes for some people. It might be, you know, save the rainforest or save the oceans or save the whales or, um, you know, so, but if everybody would just pick a few causes that they're really passionate about and put energy into it, put your money where your mouth is, make a donation, do something. And it's not just talk about it. It's a call to action. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and by now it's probably a, a few months ago, but I taught at a festival called Arise Festival. And the day before the festival, um, a lot of the performers and artists and musicians got together and we planted trees and we put in a garden. So, and, and there was also a food drive at the festival to collect food for the needy. So, you know, this call to action and, you know, people that do have a lot of clout, whether it's that you, you know, have a concert, you know, how about to say, yeah, and we don't want plastic water bottles bottles. We really need to use our notoriety to make a cultural difference and speak out and, you know, change what we can, where we can. So we are back with Brigitte Mars, herbalist and natural food chef. 
let's talk a little bit about your classes because I know you do teach a lot and we we spoke a little bit about your 10-week herbal series. Um, but I like what you have to say about your call to action because I've noticed the same thing with different festivals is they're asking you to bring your own plates and bowls and they're asking you um, you know, to bring your own water bottles and they're saying that, you know, pack your own trash out, things like that, like um, the Red Earth gathering that's happening this weekend. So I really did enjoy the fact that they said, yeah, bring your own bowl and we're going to, we'll feed you, but you have to bring your own utensils because we don't want to um, foster that trash. So within your own teachings, I know with the 10 week herbal series, it's a little bit different, but is there anything that you is always like your take home message, like whether it's environment or, you know, the way we look at ourselves, the way we treat ourselves, the way we treat other people? Is there really just something that is kind of like your underlying theme that you want to share with all of your students? Well, I'd say, you know, the underlying theme probably for most herbalists is, you know, by fostering this kind of uh, connection to natural medicine, it is good for the environment. You know, for even for the person who says, no, I'm going to buy the lavender shampoo, even though it might just be like a, a topical cosmetic thing, that means that somewhere on the face of the earth, there's going to be fields of lavender or fields of rosemary. So when we do our best to support natural products, it's also good for our health, but also the health of the environment because we are connected. And, you know, people have this attitude like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter what shampoo I use because it, you know, I lather and it's down the drain in five minutes. Well, whatever goes down the drain ends up somehow in our planet, whether it's in the ocean or the land. So um, it's really just to vote with your dollars and um, always, you know, choose the high road and support the companies that are caring about the environment. So you kind of look at it like, yeah, okay, the organic apples cost 10 cents a pound more, but that's the kind of world we want to create for the future. Therefore, I feel like we need to say, yeah, so we need to support that. We need to support our farmers, uh, our, our bees, because we're connected to them and to support our future generations by making the right choice. And so rather than going with what's advertised on TV, I mean, if you watch TV, you're seeing eat this food, take these drugs, eat this food, take these drugs. It's like that's totally normal. And yet it doesn't have to be that way. I don't have to take any type of medication and herbal medicine, if you combine it with um, how you eat and exercise and healthy relations, it, it usually works, especially if you get to the underlying cause. So I don't use herbs standalone, like just take this, these herbs. If someone has high blood pressure, it might also be good to say, well, you know, how's your stress level? Or have you thought about cutting back on coffee? Or have you thought about using less salt or, or switching to better quality salt like Celtic or Himalayan salt? Have you thought about um, using herbs like garlic or hawthorn or, or motherwort? So um, it's, it's a whole, it's an opportunity to really love yourself and love this beautiful world we're on. And so when you're working with your clients like that, you know, if someone comes to you and obviously you're going to give them all of those lifestyle things that we just spoke about, because there's so many different ways to practice herbalism. Do you work with like constitutional? Do you do a tongue and pulse diagnosis? Is there anything that you may do that can give you a deeper understanding of what's going on, you know, other than just you know, seeing what they wrote on their piece of paper or, I mean, I know, 
I don't know you very well, but I can imagine just as most herbalists, we go really deep and we're talking about emotions. We're talking about psychic energy. We talk about all sorts of different realms of energy. Um, is there anything that you just find to be so helpful in really getting to, you know, the root of what someone is actually going through? That's a great question, Jessica. And I, I feel somewhat like I'm a bit of a detective, you know, because it's not just piecing an herb together with a person. So it's like being a detective, trying to figure out what's the cause. So I do have a private practice and I ask my clients to keep a food journal before they come. I ask them to bring um, supplements, drugs, herbs that they're currently using. Um, you know, if you just write down, I take vitamin C, well, I want to see what kind and what dosage? Does it have bioflavonoids? Does it have rose hips in it? What brand is it? Does it have, you know, preservatives or color in it? Um, and then I also encourage people to write down a list of questions. I also encourage them not to wear nail polish. I like to look at people's hands. I do look at tongue. I'm also very five element orientated. So I often, you know, try to find uh, so, for example, if someone says, I'm depressed, I have premenstrual tension, um, my vision is failing, um, I wake up between, um, you know, one and three every night to go to the bathroom or I can't sleep then, um, I'm tired in the morning, rather than like band-aiding it, like, oh, I'll give you St. John's Word for the depression and I'll give you you know, cramp bark for your cramps and I'll give you bilberry for your eyes. I'm going to look at like, you know, if we strengthen your liver gallbladder or the wood element of your body, everything would get better. And here's how you do that. So I'd say that's um, a big part of it. But I remember one time um, I had a, a father bring a young girl to see me who couldn't sleep. And, you know, I'm asking all these questions like, are you afraid at night? Are you eating at night? Do you have to get up to pee? Are you being bullied at school? Are you worried about your homework? You know, so I'm asking all these questions. And then, you know, and then I'm thinking like, well, maybe I should go with some mild, you know, children's sedative herbs like chamomile and lemon balm and oat straw or something. And then I thought to ask the, the dad, like, well, all of this started happening when you moved into your new house. So you see, that's a hint. It's always good to ask what was going on in your life when this started. Oh, it started when we moved. It started when we got divorced. It started when our dog ran away, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I asked the father, like, where does all the electricity for the house come into the house? And he said, oh, it comes in right by the head of her bed. Mm. And so, you know, the remedy wasn't to give her chamomile tea. The remedy was to move her bed to the other side of the room to try to minimize all that electromagnetic energy, which is a whole nother subject. But that's just a sort of an indication of how we really want to get to the source of it rather than um, practice allopathic herbalism where we just give an herb like a Band-Aid and really don't do anything to get to the cause of it. Yeah, it's so good to hear you say that because I've noticed even within our natural healthcare realm and herbalism and acupuncture and everything, there's always a little bit of, it's almost easier to use that allopathic box, um, even though that's, for some people, that's outside of their scope of practice, but also it's outside of why we started getting interested in herbalism anyway. It's like we wanted that alternative and then as you learn more and more about herbalism, sometimes it's easier to go back into that box that we so desperately were trying to get out of to begin with. And with Chinese medicine, I mean, I practice Western herbalism and Chinese medicine, but I've just noticed that um, when we can think definitely a little bit more um, 
I mean, I, I guess just in a, a broader viewpoint and also where nothing is off the table, like I don't know any doctor who would make a correlation between electromagnetic frequencies and, you know, any sort of behavioral or health issue that anybody was having. So it's really good to see that um, you're really outside of the box in that realm. So I appreciate that. Outside of the box. That's <laughs> right. Can't keep me in. <laughs> we don't We don't want to keep you in any box. That's for sure. No. Speaking of boxes or definitely outside of the box, I'm not sure. Is this a video you have on sacred psychoactives and a class? I do or... have a video and I do have a class. I, you know, I've really been called lately to... Um, provide a sort of drug education, you know, because I think for a lot of people, we grew up with like, just say no, just say no to drugs, turn your parents in. Um, but we obviously know that's not really working. Um, and therefore, you know, we have a generation of young people growing up in a more permissive time where our state has legalized cannabis, you know, and that also leads, I don't want to say it leads to stronger substances, but, you know, there's this curiosity, well, what about psilocybin? What about, you know, peyote? What about ayahuasca? These things that people are hearing about. And so I, I teach a class and I also have a DVD called Sacred Psychoactives that really just talks about how one could be prepared for these experiences, how, you know, the goal is not to be abusive, but, you know, there's guidelines that people might use, like being in a, creating a safe set and setting, being with people you know and trust, having an intention, um, not mixing substances together, like mixing alcohol and psilocybin might not be a really good idea. You know, having to, what kind of music are you going to subject yourself to during the experience? You know, I, um, so, you know, people, many people have very positive experiences with these things. And some people have difficult, dangerous, frightening experiences. And I'm trying to help minimize harm. And if people, I'm not trying to encourage people to dabble with these things, but if they are, I want to help ensure that they have an epic experience. That's something that maybe they don't do more than a few times in their life, but that really teaches them something so that they uh, can evolve and come back into society like, wow, I've really, you know, changed the way I look at this. And maybe I want to start meditating or doing yoga or, or improving my diet because I just got a glimpse of how we're all connected. So I'm pretty uh, open about speaking about that. And that is one of the things that's getting me booked at teaching at rock festivals all around the country. Oh, are your topics on sacred psychoactive. So that's opening up a whole new realm of people probably... I mean, I would imagine interested in herbalism just once they realize that, oh, these things are plant substances. And what I like to teach, you know, when I teach about psychoactive substances or, you know, things that are going to help with our spiritual and um, evolutionary, you know, process um, is that, you know, reishi mushroom can have a very similar experience if you're in the right state of mind and from a Chinese medicine point of view, you know, um, your body is a healthy enough vessel to be able to transform these properties into something enlightening. Um, so I like to just encourage people. I like all, all substances, you know, that are natural for the most part, but I also like to encourage people to just, you know, have a relationship with all plants and not just the plants that are going to give you some, um, out of this world experience because so many other plants can also give you a very similar experience if you're open to listening in that way. Absolutely, Jessica. And I, I do think that there's a lot of herbalists 
who maybe were awakened to the idea of the potential of plants like, you know, on psilocybin or something and then make them look and say, wow, I mean, if this plant does this, but, you know, maybe another plant affects your heart or helps you to sleep or nourishes your nervous system. So I would certainly say that my early experiences with those uh, psychoactive substances really awakened me to the wanting to learn about the possibilities of what do all the other plants do. They might not affect your consciousness in the same way, but they might have a subtle effect that they're really healing or they're nourishing your bones and teeth. So it certainly opened me to the idea of like herbal medicine is powerful and I want to learn about it and I'm dedicated. are back with Brigitte Mars, herbalist and natural food chef. And let's talk a little bit about cannabis since we talked about it just being legal in Colorado and several other states now. And you are teaching a class on cannabis at Red Earth Gathering. What's your opinion, you know, either professional or just as a regular person who's excited about legalization? Where do you see cannabis kind of going in the future I mean, I've noticed just from Humboldt County to Denver, there's a huge difference in the way it's approached, um, you know, both on the black market and on the new legal market. And I personally haven't been that happy with the products that are out because they're just not healthy. They're full of propylene glycol and just all these crazy additives that as an herbalist and as someone who's pretty healthy um, that I just don't want to consume What's your opinion on that? And do you see that shifting in the future? Well, Jessica, those are really important concerns. So I have, you know, been an activist and, uh, you know, campaigned for the freedom to use all plants. You know, I believe that they're all, uh, you know, part of our creator's offering on this planet. And But I do see that you know, even though I am definitely a cannabis activist, I see us turning it into a drug um, and using chemicals like hexane and benzene. And, um, you know, there's an example in our culture that, you know, coca leaves in South America are good for altitude sickness and help curb appetite and help people deal with the rigors of living in the mountains and having little food and all that. And coca leaves are considered non-addicting, very nourishing. But when we turn coca leaves into the drug cocaine, then it becomes addicting and there are no nutrients in it. And it does become a cultural problem. And so I am seeing this uh, you know, using technology and turning cannabis into a drug. And my guess is it's not going to be the benign product that it, it was. So, you know, a couple things. I see people smoking it and using butane lighters and inhaling butane lighter fluid. Well, that can't be good for you. Hold that into your lungs. Um, no, that's probably not a good idea. Smoking out of aluminum pipes is probably not a good idea because most people know we don't want to be using aluminum deodorant or aluminum cookware. So, and I do think, you know, hemp is a very useful plant. We could be making food and fuel and fabric and fiber. Um, It's amazing. And I do see that cannabis is a wonderful medicinal herb. Um, There's certainly research coming out that it can help cancer and Crohn's disease and MS and, you know, on and on and on. Um, And a lot of this research is just starting to happen again. But of course, there's, uh, you know, this big drive to proprietize 
the processed and process the herb. So I, you know, I'm really just very traditional, like using herbs in their more natural state. And it's true. A lot of the edibles that are available in the store have gluten and sugar and canola oil and things that maybe that's not really going to be health building. So we need to continue to speak about this and educate others. And I think there's a lot of people kind of primed to get in on the industry but we really don't want to forget the heart and the quality. You know, I wouldn't want my lemon balm to have hexane or benzene in it or to be grown with herbicides or pesticides. So I, I w- why would I want or allow that to be in any other psychoactive herb that I might choose to ingest? So kind of the same standards we would apply to our food we should also be applying to this industry. But, uh, you know, I certainly will say that all the things that could be done environmentally, like fueling automobiles and airplanes and making plastic and fabric that doesn't require the amount of herbicides that cotton crops require. I mean, this truly is an amazing plant. And I don't know another plant that can do as many things as cannabis sativa, which uh, Carl Sagan believed to be the oldest cultivated plant on our planet. Sativa, after all, does indicate it has a long history of cultivation. Absolutely. Yes. And after reading some of the older Chinese text and also just researching that a little bit, it seems like it's pretty common knowledge that cannabis was the first cultivated crop for the classical Chinese. And in Chinese medicine, the seeds have been used as a laxative, much like in Western herbalism, we use psyllium or metamucil or something like that. So, and as far as a fiber plant, I think some of the earliest mummies ever found were, you know, buried in hemp um, shrouds. It, it, you know, we're cutting down old growth forests to make newspapers. And here's a plant that can renew itself in three months. So we really need to rethink this. Also, um, it, growing hemp could choke out a lot of non-desirable plants like thistle or poison ivy or spotted knapweed or, you know, some of those plants that people feel compelled that we have to call in, you know, the evil polluting pesticides, for example. So maybe, and another thing is when we do plant hemp, it grows very tall it produces seeds and those seeds would feed the birds and the birds would then nest in that area and they would eat more of the bugs. So it, it really is a plant that could help heal many of the environmental and health issues on our planet. So I'm not going to, you know, put my head in the sand about this one. I feel compelled to speak out about all plants and, uh, you know, every plant has its use. Um, You know, even poison ivy, it's used in homeopathy, roost tox, you know, for shingles and chicken pox. Um, And it also makes us look where we're going. (laughs) Right. And I've heard a few herbalists say, and I definitely tend to lean in this direction of, you know, the plants, when they are ready to be utilized again, they pretty much made themselves known full force, like cannabis. It's obviously ready, you know, almost like take its rightful place in, you know, the co the coevolution of our planet, and you can say the same about ayahuasca or other things that, um, or even St. John's wort, things that have resurfaced in the news as, hey, we're these plants, we've been here forever, we're ready to be used again, we're in your face whether you want us to be or not. And, you know, I, I think that these plants have always sent threatening to our government because very often they make us question authority. 
and might change consciousness. And that could be a little scary. That might make you really think about who you're going to vote for and keeping people asleep. I think there's a big market in that. So I'm here to help people wake up, um, wake up to taking better care of the planet, taking better care of ourselves. Uh, using herbal medicine is a beautiful thing. I, If I didn't think it worked, I would not still be doing it 50 years later. I get more and more inspired by the stories I hear from people. Um, but again, natural medicine is for people that are motivated. You know, if all you want is a pill and to go on eating the same way and doing the same thing and filling your mind and body with junk, um, herbal medicine might not be right for you. But I feel so called that like, try this. It's wonderful. It doesn't just mask symptoms. It nourishes you. It helps every organ system in your body function at a more optimal level. And it's good for the planet. It's good for the bees. And a lot of this really tastes great. And what a great movement to be part of. So count me in. <laughs> you are definitely in there. And just, you know, as kind of the last thing to say to, you know, budding or practicing herbalist that may, you know, be on the fence about, is this something I can actually do with my life? Or how can I incorporate this into something I'm already passionate about? Like you spoke about earlier, think about what your passions are, what you want to do, what you like to do, and kind of make them into, you know, who you are. Because I think for a lot of us, it's not just about taking herbs to be healthy, but it really is about helping us move us into who we are, you know, on this planet to be. So what do you have to say to them about, you know, just either encouragement or concerns or anything you want to share? Well, you know, sometimes there's this mainstream attitude like, oh, well, the herbs haven't been properly tested and I must listen to my primary healthcare professional, which couldn't possibly mean me because it's only my body and I have good insurance. I mean, really, people are giving the care of their health over to somebody. So what I would like to say is herbs have been used by millions of people for thousands of years. And when you go and take a, the latest drug that's been on the market for four years or two years, or maybe there was a study done on rats or rabbits or healthy college students, um, you can't say that it's been used by millions of people for thousands of years, um, nor can you say that it's helping to create habitat for the, the bees and the wildflowers and helping to keep our waters pristine. So... This is something that goes on every level and it's a really beautiful movement to be part of. And, you know, rather than letting it be just something from a book, I know that my uh, trust in natural healing really came from becoming a mother and having two children that I loved very, very much. And my attitude always was, you know, if what I'm doing doesn't work, Sure, I'm going to go to a doctor. I'm not one of these people. I'm not going to let my children, you know, die from something if what I'm doing isn't working. But it, it always worked. And of course, it wasn't just use the herb. It was also things like, well, maybe I need to cut back on, you know, dairy products or maybe I need to, you know, get them back into taking a nap or maybe we need to eat less sugar or maybe I need to add more orange colored foods because they're high in beta carotene. And it's a beautiful thing to be part of. And really, it's just a call to taking responsibility, educating yourself so that you are 
your primary healthcare person. And it doesn't mean you don't have a secondary or a tertiary, a doctor, an acupuncturist, a chiropractor, so a massage therapist, that there's a lot of people who can help you with your health. But ultimately, you need to take responsibility first and foremost. Absolutely. And I love to hear you say that and other people. That's what I tell my clients constantly. And it's hard for them to have the confidence to know that they actually, that their body and their mind actually knows what they need as opposed to hearing it from someone else, which is important. We need to hear it from someone else, but really we need to have that confidence to find that within ourselves. And I do find that, um, more connection we have with the plants than the more connection we actually have with ourselves. Yay. I'll vote for that. <laughs> um, so would you like to share your contact information with our listeners so they can um, either take a class or get a consultation or buy a book or a DVD from you? Surely. Um, I teach a 10-week herbal medicine class twice a year in the fall and the spring. And I have lots of YouTubes and lots of articles. I've written 13 books um, like uh, The Desktop Guide to Herbal Medicine, Addiction Free Naturally, Beauty by Nature, The Country Almanac of Home Remedies. You can find all this on my website, www.brigittemars.com. And I'll be teaching this year in, uh, you know, Austin, Orlando, Norway, Iceland, a bunch of inter- the Bahamas, yeah, come learn about herbs in the Bahamas at Sivananda Yoga Ashram next March. So I am so grateful. See, I can do all this without driving. <laughs> <laughs> See, anything is possible if you put your mind to it. <laughs> Thank you so much for the wonderful work you're doing, Jessica Baker. It's an honor to share this. And thank you for getting the message out there. Um, and I hope to hear from some of you listeners. Go on my website, sign up for my uh, awesome newsletter where you get like, you know, I, I send maybe out four a year, so it's not overwhelming. But um, you can find out about all kinds of things happening because we're here to make a difference. So let's do it all together. Well, thank you, Brigitte. You're definitely making a difference. And I know we all appreciate you very much. Blessings. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. And thank you, Brigitte, for enlightening us on the spiritual connection that we all share with plants. Download this episode and more on iTunes.